0: Good morning. morning. Good morning. Good to see you here at Anchor this morning. My name's Matt. If I've met you before, I'd love to meet you. If uh, you've not introduced yourself to me, please come up and say hi. Um, we're, we're taking a three-week hiatus in our series on the Gospel of Luke to spend some time on vision. And so that's where we're at this morning. I'm going to pray for us that God would speak this morning through His Word, that He'd still our hearts, that we would hear and uh, we're going to get into it, so join me as I, as I pray for us. Father God, we, we know that we need you right now. We know that this is a spiritual task that requires our ears of faith to be tuned into what you're saying. And so I pray for the work of your Spirit now in our hearts and minds, that you would be actively at work changing us, transforming us, changing our thinking, changing our hearts, Thank you, Father, that in Christ we are new creations, that you've made us new people, you've given us a new life. I pray this morning that we'd get an overwhelming sense of your love for us in Jesus, that would be the controlling centre of our lives. And we ask this in his strong name. Amen. Well, if you were here for the last two weeks, you were going to hear me say the exact same thing again. I'm going to share our vision and our mission. And you might be thinking, well, I mean, do I, do I really need to hear it for a third time? The answer is yes. I mean, maybe there were a few people who have missed the last couple of weeks and so need to be filled in on what our vision and mission is. But to be honest, I'm just going to be beating this drum until I die. Like you're going to drag me off the pulpit and I'm still going to be talking about in community our mission for Jesus. And so I just want to remind you again of what our vision is. And vision is simply what we see or what we hope to see. This is our vision. We see a church that transforms our city by making disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. A church that transforms our city. We long for citywide revival and renewal of God's church in this city in a big way. We're we're pleading that God would pour out His Spirit here as Brad prayed this morning as he opened our our gathering together by making disciples of Jesus to the glory of God. Every church ought to be on about that. Followers of Jesus for His glory. Now, the way that we do that is our mission, the way that we actually play that out. And, and that is often different in different churches. But the way that we've decided to do this is this. Our mission is to gather people together into rapidly multiplying gospel communities. That's what we looked at last week when we looked at what it means to be a, a gospel-formed community. So we're gathering the people together in rapidly multiplying gospel communities. We looked at the fact that these communities are outward looking. We're going to be multiplying them out, sending the people that we love, sending our best people out to lead and multiply new gospel communities. And the purpose of these gospel-formed communities is for mission, to equip people, to be sent on mission to their city, to make disciples of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel. That's what we're on about. And so... To summarize all of that, we use three words, in community, on mission, for Jesus. Now, for those of you who need a diagram, here it is. Two weeks ago, I talked about the fact that we've got a gospel foundation for everything we do at Anchor. This church is formed by the gospel and for the gospel, motivated by the gospel, everything that we do. Uh, and, and last week, we looked at that first pillar of community, that community, gospel-formed community. This week we're looking at mission. We're going to be camped out on the topic of mission. And the point of it all is the glory of Jesus, that his name would be famous in our city. So that's our our vision. That's what we're on about here at Anchor. And I hope um, that that's not new for you. uh, But I recognize that for some of you who have joined us recently, that might be new. And so we're excited that you would get excited about what God is doing in our church and in our midst here. But let me just offer a quick qualification. For those of you who are here this morning and wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, wouldn't call yourself a Christian, what we're doing this morning is, we're actually it's like we're just letting you in on the company strategy book. right? We're just, just being really honest. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people get to know Jesus. We want to introduce people to the hope that Jesus offers. Right? So just put that out there. We're just being really upfront and honest. That's what we're on about as a church. As we look at... Um, The church scene, and as we go back and look at church in history, the way that church has previously conducted itself and done mission is this a a church would build a building, a church building in every suburb. And there would be a building that would be built, and then the denomination would employ a a minister who would go and preach the gospel in the church. And the church was often the center of community, the center of life, and everyone went to church. and, And so there was this expectation that you build it and they will come. The minister preaches the gospel, people come. But that model is a model that works under Christendom, it works in a culture that is generally Christian. But you fast forward, say, 150 years, and we don't find ourselves in Christendom anymore. We don't find ourselves in a a culture that is vastly Christian. And so strategy needs to change. The new way of doing church is actually very similar to the old way. The old way was build it and they will come. Now we just build it, awesome, and they will come. Right? That's what we do. We just make this Sunday gathering so incredibly amazing that people are compelled and attracted to come to our Sunday gathering. No longer do we, you know, put up with average preaching, twenty, you know, uh, four-hour sermons. You know, we're, we're so we need to make our gatherings attractional so that people would be attracted to what we're doing. Now, to be honest, on the spectrum of attractional church to missional church, Um, there is a vast, broad range of churches doing those two things, and everyone falls into that spectrum, but my problem with the church at the very end of that is this, that it makes our mission, it makes evangelism an event, and not an everyday lifestyle. It makes evangelism or mission something that that the professional pastor does, and not ordinary people. The old way of doing church doesn't work as well anymore. The younger you get and the more secular our generation gets, it just doesn't work anymore. If you're a Christian in the 18 to 30 demographic, it's almost like you're an endangered species, right? You, there's just so few of you in the church. And so the church, I think, in Australia needs to stop assuming that the culture is Christian and stop operating off Christendom models of mission and start to begin to actually think like missionaries do, like a missionary who gets sent to a culture that is not Christian at all. What will they do? How will they meet people? How will they work in the culture and present the gospel to that culture? I think the church needs to begin to learn from the missionaries about how to do God's work here in our city. There's been recent research that was done that said that Around about ten to fifteen percent of our population finds that that is our non non Christian non church population finds what we do as an attractional church on a Sunday morning attractive. It it appeals to them. Around ten to fifteen percent. My question is, what about the other eighty five to ninety percent? How will we reach those people who will never set foot inside this building, who will never be attracted to what we do, no matter how good it is? Just not interested in what we're doing. And my aim today is to show you this, that you are the hope for the 85%. Your gospel community is the hope for the 85%. This church, this gathering, is the hope for those who will never set foot in this door. This morning I'm going to be talking about mission. And as we talk about this, this is my heart behind Anchor that we would see every single person who calls Anchor home, calls Anchor family, living like a missionary in their culture and their context. That's the hope. That's the aim. Every single person who calls Anchor home would be living like a missionary in their culture and in their context. What we're trying to build here at Anchor is an ecosystem of mission. And that's not easy. And it takes a lot of time. And we've come some way in in the last nine months or so, but we've got a long way to go. And so I hope this morning, by looking at 2 Corinthians, to to spur us on towards that. So if you've got a Bible, go and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to kick off from verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. And my hope is that as we read this portion of Scripture, our hearts will be stirred by the love of Jesus to see that we have A new identity, and a new ministry, and a new purpose in life—that we are Christ's ambassadors and representatives. So let's go. Two Corinthians chapter five verse fourteen says this: "For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this: that one has died for all; therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their for their sake and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh." and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The opening words of that section there, for the love of Christ controls us. Such incredibly profound words. The love of Christ controls us or compels us that, that word control or compel is the same word that's used in Luke chapter 8 in the story of the bleeding woman who comes to Jesus. You know, the, the crowd is surrounding Jesus and, and she's trying to get to him and she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment and power comes out of him heals her. And, and Jesus stops and he turns around and says, who touched me? And the disciples look at him and say, teacher, people are crowding around you. They're pressing in on you. And that's the same word that Paul uses here of the love of God. It is crowding around him and pressing him in. It has gripped him. I remember in the summer of, I think it was 1995, I went to my first Big Day Out concert to see Rage Against the Machine, one of my favourite bands of all time. If you grew up in the 90s, you're like, yeah. You know, the song Killing in the Name Of was the soundtrack to my angsty teenage years. Um, it's, if you know the words to the song, you'll get what that means. But... I was at this concert, big day out, and there's was, there was literally uh, probably 20,000 people watching Rage Against the Machine. Year 10, I'm this weedy little kid, um, and you're thinking, not much has changed. But year 10, I'm in, this, I'm in this massive mosh pit, and it got to the point where the mosh was so tightly packed that my feet weren't touching the ground. I just kind of popped up a bit, and I'm almost standing on the shins of the people around me, and it was so violent, like it was just like moving from side to side, forward, back, as people were pushing around and jostling. And, and I was just kind of stuck, just going with the flow of the crowd. And that's exactly what Paul says the love of Christ has done to him. It crowds him. Is that, is that a bad illustration? It's not, because that, that's, that's what it means. It means that the love of God has, has crowded us and presses us in, that it leaves us no alternative. No alternative. Radically changes us. I'm so caught up in the gospel, in the love of God, that it is now the controlling center of my life. It pushes me left. It pushes me right. I wonder if you've experienced the love of God like that. So overwhelmingly real that everything changes. That's what Paul says. The love of God changes absolutely everything for him. Four things we're going to look at. Firstly, the love of God changes who I live for. The love of God changes how I view people. The love of God changes me. And finally, the love of God changes my purpose. I'm going to rush through the first three and we're going to spend our time on the fourth. And the reason I'm rushing f- through the first three is the first three have to do with our gospel identity and we've spent a lot of time there over the last two weeks. And what I want to get to is that gospel-formed mission and purpose in life. So let's, let's have a look. Firstly, Jesus changes who I live for. Verse 14, let's go back. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Who is the one that has died? It is Jesus. He has died on the cross. Who are the all that have died? It is Christians who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And the Bible says that the old self is gone. We have died. The old me is dead. I've put that off. It has been buried with Christ. And then the new life, the new me is raised with Christ. My life is now hidden in him, Colossians 3.3. 3. With the result that those who Jesus has died for, risen for, now live for him. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says this, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Before the love of Jesus invaded our lives, we, we just lived selfishly for ourselves. But afterwards, we now live for Him. Jesus changes everything. He changes who I live for. Secondly, Jesus changes how I view people. Have a look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. To view someone according to the flesh means to view them without a perspective or lens of spirituality. That is to to make an assessment or judgment on them purely on externals, on things like uh, looks and wealth and beauty and influence and power or lack of those things. And Paul says... We once regarded Christ that way. We looked at Jesus and all we saw was a weak, uneducated, dead cult leader. But then in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus, Jesus reveals himself to Paul and changes everything. The Spirit opens his eyes to see Jesus in a new way and no longer does he see Jesus just according to the flesh, but he sees Jesus as King and Lord and Saviour. Jesus changes the way we view people. It means that we need to view people, view our city through the lens of the gospel. See, what, is, what does God see when He looks at this city? He sees glorious ruins. That is, people who are made in His image and likeness to bear His glory, reflect His glory, but yet people who are ruins at the same time, broken, bent, and twisted by sin. And so, as we look. At the people of this city, we need to see image bearers in desperate need of grace and mercy in desperate need of the gospel, the love of Christ. No longer viewing people according to the flesh, but according to the gospel. Jesus changes how I view people. Jesus also changes me. Have a look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, When you become a Christian, it's not about simply just changing a bunch of external behaviours. It's not not about a, a new moral system. It's not even just about a new set of beliefs. It's actually about a completely new person. It's what it means to become a Christian. The old me is gone. The new me is here in Christ. Once I was dead in my sins. Now I've been made alive in Jesus. Jesus uses similar language in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. He says, you know what, you must be born again, dead. You must be spiritually made alive, made new. The scripture uses a bunch of images to talk about this transition that has happened from dead to alive, from blind to seeing, from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Jesus has made us completely new people, not just better people, new people. That's the gospel. Jesus changes me completely from the inside out. So Jesus changes who I live for, no longer living for myself but living for him. Jesus changes how I view people, no longer according to the flesh but according to the gospel. And Jesus changes me from the old self to the new, a new creation. But finally, and and where I want to focus on, is Jesus changes my purpose, my mission We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You notice how Paul attaches his gospel identity to his gospel mission there. I've been reconciled. God has reconciled me to himself in Christ, and he has given me a ministry of reconciliation. But you notice there that the ministry of reconciliation is God's ministry first. You see that there? All of this is from God. This is God's work. It is his initiative. Verse 19, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. This is God's work. This ministry of making peace, of reconciliation, is, is the heart of a missionary God who reaches out and takes the initiative with people, who goes, who sends. God is a missionary God, and that makes what Paul makes what Paul's doing here a participation in God's mission. It's not his mission, it's God's mission. And so Paul gets to play a part in it. God is a missionary God. And really, if you boil the whole story of the Bible down to one thing, it is how is God going to reconcile to himself people who have rejected him? How, that's the story of the Bible. That's, that's the, the grand story of the gospel. God reconciling him to himself a people And he takes the initiative. He is a missionary God. He sent Jesus. And so Paul is reconciled at peace with God and then given a ministry of reconciliation in God's mission. Now that's important because I think that's the exact same pattern and thing for us. What I mean is this. Jesus saves you and when he saves you, he enlists you on his mission team to send you. Jesus saves us and sends us at the same time. We cannot be saved and not sent. And he sends us as his ambassadors. Do you notice that in verse 20? We are ambassadors for Christ. Now as we think of that term ambassador, we can't help but think of the the political climate of our world where every country, every nation has the ambassadors and the embassy in their country, representatives of, of all these other countries in our country, right? But it doesn't work like that in Rome. Rome had no ambassadors. What Rome did was just conquer the world with brute force and power and might and made everyone subject to them. And so no one had an embassy in Rome. It was just the emperor and his rule and reign. But what happened was when Rome went and conquered a region, a town, a city, what they did was they sent an ambassador of Rome with the full authority of Rome, with the full authority of the emperor himself to go and tell the people the terms of peace. This is how you live now under this new kingdom with this emperor as your king. These are the terms of peace. And so what Paul is saying there is that he considers himself an ambassador of Jesus with the full authority of Jesus because Jesus is king of the new kingdom and he comes to bring the terms of peace to the people that Jesus has sent him to as an ambassador. He is his representative. Now you might be reading that and thinking, well, hang on a sec, that's Paul's ministry. Paul was special, he was an apostle. Surely you can't say that I have a ministry of reconciliation like Paul did, that I am an ambassador of Christ like Paul was. Well, yeah, I think it is. I think that is the case. And I think that because I think this is the pattern that God operates to bring people to himself. Firstly, on a side note, I think Paul is the representative of new covenant people. And so when he says to people, imitate me as I imitate Christ, that's not just Paul's way of life, his godliness. That's also his mission, his purpose in life. He is our representative as people of the new covenant. And so what Paul does, we do. But, but I also think this is the way that God just operates. right? He reconciles Paul to himself. He gives Paul a ministry of reconciliation. And then he, he makes his appeal through Paul. Now we see that pattern elsewhere in scripture. What did Jesus do with the disciples? called them to himself to be his disciples and then told them what? Go and make disciples of others. Saved and sent. That's what he does. That's why the gospel is a message. It's a message because it it needs messengers to be spoken. That's why God gave everyone a mouth to speak. That's why in, in Romans 10, Paul says, How can they hear unless someone preaches? And how can they preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? The gospel is a message and it needs to be spoken. I think we see this experientially as well. I mean, for the vast majority of people in this room, the reason you know the hope of Christ is because someone implored you, be reconciled to God. Is that not true for most of us? Now, yes, God sometimes works outside of those means, the conviction of the Spirit, maybe a dream or a vision, and particularly it seems he works that way outside of the Western context in closed countries, but for the most part, God sends a messenger who he has saved to implore people to be reconciled to Christ. It's the way he does it. My point is this. You are the way that God is going to draw people to himself in this city. Your gospel community is the way that God is going to be drawing people to himself in this city. Our church is an embassy of God on this earth, an outpost of his kingdom. We are his representatives. He will use us. He will use you. And he will make his appeal through you, through your words. And so that means that silence is not appropriate for God's people who have been reconciled and given a ministry of reconciliation. Silence is not appropriate. Isn't that an incredible thought? That we will be caught up in God's mission. That we would be used by him for his purposes. The church is God's primary mission strategy. That's it. The church is the way that God is going to reach the world. I love what Bill Hybels says. He says, The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. That's true. That's us. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to build a church of missionaries because that's who we are. It's not just a strategy. In the same way that community is who we are, Mission is our identity. It's what we're called to do. We've been saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to be on mission. There's a quote by a guy called George Hunsberger. I think he's a German. And he says this incredible, insightful sentence. Churches are called to be bodies of people sent on mission rather than storefronts for vendors of religious goods and services. Wow. We're not just here to vend out goods and services of the religious appealing things that people want to get out of religion, that's not us at all. We're a people sent on mission with good news to tell. That's who we are. And so all of that is our identity. How then do we take that and be practical with it? How do we, how do we make a church that is on mission And the way we do that is by creating an ecosystem of mission. And so I'm just going to let you into my head for a little bit, where my head has been for the last nine months. As we planted this church, my heart was to see a church where every single person viewed themselves as a missionary in their culture and context. How do you do that? And this is where I've been thinking and pondering and praying and seeking God's leading. And so this is my little strategy of of changing the culture of this church. Firstly, and hopefully there's a diagram that's going to come up and explain this, an ecosystem of mission. So we're going to start at conviction. All right? We need gospel conviction. That is, we need to know and understand that we need Jesus, that we desperately need the gospel because if we have any hope of our city, needing the gospel, they need to see that in us. And so it doesn't mean that we're proud, arrogant Christians telling everyone else how to live their lives, but we're humble people who come and say, I need Jesus just as much as you do. We need a personal conviction of the gospel ourselves. We also need a conviction that our city desperately needs the gospel. We have no understanding of the desperation of our city to have a rescuer, a saviour, we will never step out and speak the gospel. We need a gospel conviction. Secondly, we need gospel confidence. That is, we need to have a confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. We need to be confident that the gospel can and does radically change people's lives. Because here's the deal, if, if we believe that the words that we speak will simply just meet deaf ears and make no difference at all, you will never speak the gospel. We need gospel confidence. We need to trust that this is the way that God has designed that people would be called to himself. The gospel is the power of God for everyone who believes. We need to have confidence in the transforming power of the gospel. Thirdly, we need gospel competence. That is, we need to know what the gospel is. And some of you who are familiar with the Soma language will know that's called gospel fluency. You need to be fluent in the gospel. In the same way that you might be fluent in another language, we need to breathe and speak the gospel all the time. We need to be competent about what this message is, to be able to explain it when someone asks us. Fourth, we need gospel connections. That is, the first three will make no difference. If all we ever do is hang out in a holy Christian huddle and have no friends outside of the church, we need gospel connections, someone to share the story of God with. Fifthly, we need gospel communication. We actually need to speak the message. Isn't that the hardest bit? It's easy to stand out the front and serve waffles to people that walk by. It's not as easy to speak the gospel to them. It takes boldness and courage to do that. It takes the empowerment of the Spirit We need gospel communication. We actually need to speak it. And then I think when those things happen, we can expect to see gospel conversion. That people would come to know Jesus. That people would see in the gospel a God who has so set his affection upon them in Christ that they would be wooed to the cross and worship Jesus. We'd see gospel conversion. And gospel conversion means that we're now plugged into gospel community and the cycle continues. And so how are we going to get a church full of missionaries on mission to our city? I think this is the way we do it, by creating an, an ecosystem of gospel-centered mission. But that's not easy to do. It's not, that, that's, that's really big picture stuff. And so one of the things we've tried to do is be really practical about how we can actually begin to do these things. And we've done that by using a phrase called gospel intentionality. We want to live everyday life with gospel intentionality. That is, every encounter we have, every moment of every day is all about mission, is all about the gospel. And so we've encouraged people who have decided to call Anchor Home with what we've called the five for five. Five things for five friends. This is it. Think of five friends, five family members, colleagues, whoever they are, five people in your life who you would desperately love to know Jesus and find the hope that is only found in Him. Pray for that person every day. Pray for them every day. Contact them once a week. Do something nice for them once a month. Include them in your celebrations, your special events, and share your faith as opportunity arises. Five friends, five things. This, this big, grand vision that we have will... Happen, one person at a time. As we step out, be the mouthpiece of God, be His representatives, and introduce people to Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you think, "Am I just a strategy? Is that what I am? Is that all I am to you?" No. Please don't misunderstand what we're trying to say here. You're not a strategy. I mean, who wouldn't want someone to do that for them? Who who wouldn't want someone to pray for them every day? Be nice and contact them. Stay in touch. Do something nice for you. That'd be nice party with you and share the most important thing to them. I mean, isn't that a loving thing to do for a friend? It's not a strategy. It's motivated by the love of Jesus. But all of this requires an attitude that goes along with it. And if you've been a part of Anchor, you've known that one of the things we've tried to talk about is having an attitude that is willing to do whatever it takes to see the name of Jesus proclaimed in this city. And so I want to close by going to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and reading you one more section from the first letter of Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. This is what Paul says. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. You see Paul's strategy there? To those who are under the law, he becomes as one under the law. To those who have no law, he becomes as one who has no law. To the weak, he becomes weak. He 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 becomes all things to all people so that by all possible means, he might save some. That is an attitude that says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'm willing to forego my freedoms. I'm willing to... I'm, I'm willing to get crazy to see the name of Jesus proclaimed in this city. Willing to do whatever it takes. What I think we need to do is turn what has been a really good desire, turn what is a want, into a must. That is, we always talk about, oh, we want to reach people with, with the message of Christ. And we need to change that and say we must reach people with the message of Christ. For if we don't, our generation is facing a Christless eternity. If we don't, the church, fast forward in 20 years' time, is almost gone in our nation. It's not that we want to reach people. We have to reach people. We must. You know, all of this is compelled by the love of Christ. It would be an error of me to compel you by guilt or fear or Statistics. You know, God is not intimidated by statistics. He's not intimidated by church decline. It's the love of Christ that compels us. We need a gospel motivation for what we do here because we'll never do it otherwise. We are Christ's ambassadors, his representatives, that he would make his appeal through you, through us. Be reconciled to God. So friends, that's why we often talk about this is the gathering. This isn't church. This is our gathering. Everything we do is church. Our whole life is church. What if I told you that mission wasn't um, this 12-step process that you had to learn and then knock on people's doors and try and doubt? What if I told you that mission was just being an intentional friend? That's easy, right? We can all do that. Mission is just being an intentional friend. Forget the strategy. Let's just, let's just be people who are so radically in love with Jesus, love people, and love life. And I tell you what, those three things will change our city as people are introduced to people who love Jesus. Here in the next song we're going to sing, there's a line that says, Now I live for the one who called me by name. Now I live for him. That's what our life is about. That's what the gospel is, no longer living for me, but for Him who died for me and was raised again. My life is now hid with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So friends, we're going to respond to this gospel. We're going to respond in two ways. We're going to respond in worship, by singing the praises of God, by by making those, those words, those lines, the prayer of our hearts, that that would be real, that we do live for Jesus. And we're going to respond in celebration of the Lord's Supper, These two symbols up here, the bread and the juice, are symbols that represent Jesus' body and blood that was broken and shed on our behalf that we might be new creations. And so as you eat this bread and drink this this juice, remember, I'm a new person in Christ. God has made me new. He has given me life. The old me I, I put away. And by the power of the Spirit, the new me is who Jesus uses. To radically transform and change this city. So, would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts to respond to God? Father, we thank you that you took the initiative in seeking us, that you are a missionary God. We thank you for Jesus who has reconciled us to you, that has brought peace, that you have saved us, and that you now send us to our city. May we be your mouthpiece. May we be your representatives, your ambassadors. May Anchor Church be the embassy of God, an outpost of your kingdom here on earth. May we be a people that is so radically transformed by the love of Christ that we just cannot help but speak of what we've seen and heard, what you have done in our lives. Pray, Father, that you would make us, truly make us a people who are on mission in the city for your glory. We prayed in Jesus name. Amen.